Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to another edition of the Zeitcast. This is Jonathan Martin, and thank you so much for joining me. You know, this has just felt like a really special run of episodes. I'm sorry we had some technical issues with the podcast feed last week because we've got so many good episodes even already wrapped. Uh, I'm just dying to share with you guys. But boy, it feels like we're on such a run. Uh, The episodes with Jackie Lewis, um, with Otis Moss III, and this conversation you're about to hear with my very dear friend, William Matthews. Uh, You know, I know the kids say all the time these days we describe things as fire. That was fire. And it might be a bit of a cliche at this point, but I'm telling you, if I've been in a conversation that was fire, I mean, it was like (laughs) there was such a heat and electricity in this conversation. And I love it because I feel like that's how it is when William and I really talk. And it just seemed to sort of capture the grace of that in a way that I think is just it felt special to me for a podcast conversation. We put this, uh, we did this on Instagram Live on Good Friday, just now sharing it with you guys. But and, and it's a little longer than what we normally do, but I didn't want to cut any of it because uh, you'll, you'll, I think you'll see why. It's, it's just such important content as we really delve into issues of human frailty and um, how this time reveals how fragile we really really all are and uh, also some tougher topics like false prophets in the moment we're in. I just thought the whole thing was fabulous. I hope that you love it as much as I loved recording it with William. If you need an introduction to William Matthews, man, William is an artist who has done a lot of things. He's a brilliant singer-songwriter. He is an advocate. Uh, Many of you know him from his work now as a co-host of the Liturgist podcast, as well as the other podcasts that he's had for a number of years, Culture Shock. Uh, But William is gifted in so many ways, and anytime we get a chance to talk, I am enriched, and I think your life will be enriched uh, from hearing this really important conversation, and I hope some of this fire kind of rubs off on you guys. Hey, um, I do just want to mention the next few days of podcast also just going to be really special. It feels like we're in a flow, and I'm grateful for all of you who are making this happen. Thank you, especially to my patrons. Uh, What a time to be supporting, and I'm trying to give a lot back in that way right now. In fact, this week in particular, we're releasing a bunch of new content on the Patreon page and a lot more yet to come. So if you want to get in on that, uh, you can find the Zeitcast on Patreon or through the link at jonathanmartinwords.com. Just know I am beyond grateful for those of you who are uh, making this possible Absolutely could not do this without your help. So grateful for all of your support. And when you like, share, review, any of that in any form, it's always a big deal. But thank you guys for making this possible. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with William Matthews. Hey, there's William. How you doing? Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. You too. You look amazing. With the beard, you just look like, like you just look so like... You you you're just you're just perfect for the moment right now. Uh, this is great. This is a good look. I live on the side of a mountain in Los Angeles, so I'm embracing my wilderness man look. <laughs> it is a wilderness man look. I'm a fan. I like it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, and quarantine too. It's like my mustache is all crazy. That's why I've been out. My hair is crazy, but I'm like, yeah. my beard looks good. So <laughs> I trimmed my beard and and did like and like did the little shaving here for like the first time in about two weeks, just wow. like twenty minutes ago. So. <laughs> it is. I just, I just, I'm here. I'm here. 
And I feel like I've just been eating whatever the hell I want. It's like all of a sudden I, it's like these childhood cravings. Like I've returned to like, oh, well, little Debbie zebra cakes sound like a good idea. Um, I've been a glutton for wine, which I, I was relatively drinking like a few times a month, honestly. And then the quarantine happened and I've been stocking like wine every day, which is great. So I got my little, little glass here and uh, popcorn. I'd like to cook on a stove. Tequila here. Cheers. Go ahead. Good Friday. Good Friday drink. Uh, been doing, uh, yeah, popcorn chicken and, and a Reese's peanut butter cups. That's been oh, my, nice. that's my go-to right now. So Nice. I'm that hoping, sounds amazing. I'm hoping only to come out having, having gained like five pounds, you know, not like 15, but we'll see. And I've been, I've been ironically eating like healthy lean meals but then like really? <laughs> I see I see well I, I don't I don't even know if I want to have this conversation because I think I've already tipped over that five pounds but I'm like you know this is just this is for a season it will go on forever true. so you know very true right now I'm kind of like in whatever it takes to survive it just, just kind of seems good and right yep very much same here we're, we're gonna make it we're gonna see the other side of it Hey, well, that well, that was going to be my next question. Is so, how are you surviving the apocalypse here? Like, how are you feeling? Um, somebody just said uh, wine and popcorn. That's so Olivia Pope. Thank you for the share, That um, her and uh, uh, Annalise Keating from How to Get Away with Murder are my creators. But um, so, how am I surviving COVID nineteen self quarantine? Well, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty much like a quasi hermit already i like solitude already and so like the way i work creatively is i often like lay pretty low work on some things and then kind of pop up with something and so i was already kind of in this season where i just wasn't really publicly doing much and keeping quiet being at home trying to find a normal life um you know because you know traveling and itinerant or music or any of preaching any of that stuff it's like your life just gets so public and so crazy. Sure. And years, I just really crave the solitude uh, life a lot more, even if that makes me less money and I'm not, you know, like I've actually taken that hit and, and been okay because I was like, I, I'd much rather cultivate my peace uh, already. So I've been practicing social distancing. Anybody that knows me knows I've already been practicing social distancing. <laughs> Well, you've always been a trendsetter, William. That's the thing. You're always a little ahead of everybody else. So you just you just got there before the rest of us. You know what? Me and uh, my friend Angela Johnson, too, because she – shout out to Angela. I don't know if she's watching, but uh, I think she said she was. So shout out to Angela. But Angela, who's a comedian friend of mine, she you know felt like the Lord told her to uh, quit tr- like traveling. She'd been traveling on the road for like eight, nine years consistently, touring, like 200-plus dates a year. And like in the fall, she was like, I feel like God told me to shut it all down for 2020 and just take a year sabbatical. And it's funny because I told her like a couple of weeks ago, I said, you were ahead of the curve because now everybody had to shut down their comedy tours. Everybody had to shut down their concerts. I was like, you, and they, you know, people lose money doing that stuff. And I was like, you really knew, like you intuitively, she felt, you know, it was time to shut everything down and go silent and like really um, lay low. And but I had, I was already doing that too, so I was like, "Girl, I feel you." So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even you know we live in such an attention culture and and it's such a rat race, and I think that's also been a part of it too of like learning how to you know navigate um and you know uh independent career right like I don't work a typical nine to five, um but also not wanting to just fully give over in, into you know what I call the attention culture. 
that um, just demands you to be productive, demands you to be, you know, always in everyone's face every day. And I'm not saying people that do that, something's wrong with that as much as I just knew for me in my heart, I was like, this isn't healthy for me. And I don't want to um, have to constantly feel the pressure to have to grab people's attention. So, you know. Sure. That makes so much sense. And I mean, it's it's so healthy. What a, what a grounded, wonderful way to approach all this. It's, um, it's interesting because it's such a, uh, it's cheers. (laughs) It's, and I love Angela Johnson, by the way. So shout out to Angela, if you are watching. Um, yeah, it's just such a, um, it's interesting for me experiencing Holy Week in the midst of all this, and especially a day like Good Friday, because already it feels like a moment where everybody's having to contend with death, where everybody feels vulnerable in a way that people don't often feel vulnerable. I was just telling, I was chatting with um, Otis Moss III a little bit before we got on. And one of the things that we were talking about was like how, I just keep thinking about this. I talked to a guy that I know who works at the 7-Eleven down the street and he's probably his mid twenties. And we were talking the night and he was saying like, man, I'm just so grateful because I feel like I've got such great job security right now. And he's like feeling great. And then I've talked to some people that I know who have have had a considerable amount of influence of some sort actually losing their shirt right now. Like oh. like within a week or two, like 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 losing everything. So it's just interesting how this moment is such a it's a it's a great equalizer. And it almost feels like, you know, whether you're religious or not, um, everybody's kind of entering into a good Friday descent, ashes, grief, death kind of moment. Yeah. Or something right now. Yeah, honestly, so I feel like this season, truthfully, really started for me in 2016. Mm. Um, and actually, it's funny because um, somebody around 2016, somebody gave me a prophetic word. I was going through some things that really caused me to just stop traveling, slow down. Like I left my record label, like everything just came to a halt. And and I somebody gave me this prophetic word. And truth be told, I don't really pay attention to most prophetic words because I feel like they don't some are trash. But uh I did pay attention to this one because it it, it resonated with um, like a dream that I had actually. And um, basically they said, Hey, I, I see you in a tomb and I see that, you know, you just, you eventually popped out and, and God resurrected you. And it was, it was wild to me because I had had a similar word in a dream that like kind of confirmed that already. Um, but honestly, I thought that was going to be a quick thing. And actually I feel like I have been, uh, in a bit of a like death season for about four three to four years. And I, you know, you wrote that amazing book, you know, how to survive a shipwreck. Um, and there's so many like great materials out there about how to pass this grief. And I feel like this death season has been a long time coming. And part of it, which was hard was um, you, you joke about me being a forerunner, but taking a step back helped me see how, unhealthy our culture really was and not just the broader culture a lot of our church culture and the pace in which we work is very unhealthy and um so a lot of my friends travel a lot of people i know in christian music um and ministry and and church world they're just go 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 all the time and i knew when i started slowing down in 2016 like my body had to unwind you know because there's body keeps score and it like 10 years of doing that, like something began to unwind in me. And, and then I began to really feel for a lot of, you know, my itinerant friends who had to keep going, going, and going, their heart was hurting, but they had to keep going, you know, their, you know, uh, family was working apart, they had to keep going. 
And I just feel like I've been watching the last, as I slowed down, I feel like I was watching everyone speed up. Yeah. And, and then I would feel jealous. I would feel like, why am I not out there as much? I was still doing stuff, but like, I just wasn't doing as much. Like, I mean, you're flying over 100,000 miles a year. Like, that's, yeah. that's doing some stuff. And then Absolutely. that fell to like 15, 20,000 miles a year. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. you know? But honestly, I had to learn to get accustomed and comfortable with death. And mm-hmm. know that, um, you know, there's my Julie Meyer, who's a, a you know uh, an old like worship leader that I used to sing with, and no, she used to call this thing called the Ferris wheel of favor. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're up. And that, that always actually stuck with me that saying, um, because I actually learned to be comfortable with death, be comfortable with not getting opportunities, be comfortable with losing opportunities, be comfortable with people not really thinking about you or wanting to call you to have you do stuff. Um, and learn to just be okay with myself. And that felt like the tomb season. And that's, and it has been like the tomb season. Mm. And, you know, but as much of a wilderness as that has been, um, I really feel like God has constantly been supplying that, that manna, that real, like, steady, like, every time I think, okay, does this even work for my life? And it would be like something would happen that just would give me enough to keep going and then to keep going. And so I feel like what's happening right now, as terrible as it is, it is a great invitation and opportunity to really slow down to really take stock and I actually feel like a lot of this anxiety people are feeling with having you you know with being at home is really people learning to wrestle with themselves sure to a level that they've never really had to hear their inner voice yeah never really had to like be with themselves or their family in that way and I don't know I feel like as we like practice social distancing one of the healthiest things we can do right now is to keep checking in with ourselves and keep checking in with our hearts and keep checking in with like, and actually start that internal dialogue that I think a lot of times our attention culture we've been running from yeah, um, is that, that dialogue, which we definitely, definitely need that internal dialogue again. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, so good. So true. I mean, it, cause it feels like, you know, I, I don't by any means have a kind of theology where I feel like God is somehow directly doing any of this or orchestrated this, but my sense with anything that happens is, what's the invitation of the spirit in it? And that does feel like the invitation because, you know, it just, um, it's like there are so many things, I think, that uh, ways that we're just able to kind of live in, well, again, being Good Friday, we're able to live in denial of death. Yeah. We're able to live in denial of our own fundamental frailty and vulnerability. Yeah. And right now, everybody's feeling it. Like literally everybody's feeling it. Like I don't know a single person who's not touching that way. And I think that's part of where I do feel like there's, there is a lot of promise in the moment we're in is that um, I think the moment that people have to contend with their own vulnerability and their own like human frailty, there's the opportunity for really meaningful, meaningful change. Cause all these things are surfacing, but that have been present along, but right now it just seems like things are illuminated, that everything's yeah. kind of like things are being revealed, things are being stirred up. Because when you're when you're forced into solitude, that is what happens, is that there's a, a kind of painful clarity that comes from from heaven. I mean, gracious, like all the ways like we're just kind of addicted to adrenaline and kind of choose a certain kind of business all the time. It, it's so interesting to feel like there's a pause button hit on all that and now we have to contend with whatever's actually in us Woo! i that started hitting me i told you it's been like a four-year season but something around june the summer was one of the hardest summers i ever had um because it was like all my anxiety that i thought i had like worked through started coming to the surface in a stronger way 
And it was like the paranoia of my own mind. I started like, feel, like it felt like everything I was doing, it was like, you're going to fail. You're going to, it was like the voices, those voices were stronger um, in a, in a crazy way for me. And I had to really get proactive about learning to be kind with myself, learning how to, to, to really understand that what was coming up for me was the slowing down was actually forcing me to deal with things that I've been really wrestling with since childhood, childhood inadequacies, childhood, like, um, anxiety, like the feelings of like being unsafe. And it felt like everything in our culture had been like, especially in the political culture, was just driving home this point of like, you're not safe. You're not safe. And then it just kept like, it was like embedded in me, like, you're not safe, you're not safe. And then it brought up childhood stuff. And then I'm like, sitting here, like, and then every, anything I did, I felt like would fail everything. Like, and, and so this fall was kind of that, that precursor, but you know, you, you know, that you were the one, you know, that, uh, you know, in your prototype book, you talked about how you skipped over death in the chapter, yeah. you didn't even write a chapter of death, yeah. because yeah. like to actually face death mm-hmm. is the hardest thing that, like, and, 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 and maybe go, maybe going back to good Friday, I feel like I'm all over the place, but no, this is good. Like, I think the gospel, if, if anything, is teaching us how to face death and to not run from it. Even the existential fear of death. Like, I think that's the thing as humans we struggle with is the fear of, mm-hmm. of this temporalness and this, um, um, uh, more mortalness. And we don't, um, we don't really feel okay with it. And so we use religion just to cover up that anxiety. We use jobs. We use the economy mm-hmm. to cover that up. And our, our zeal for like economic growth. Like I actually yeah. feel like that is the idol that's being crushed right now. Yeah. Is this idol of our economy. And that's really been the rhetoric right of the last five years has been, sure. we, you know, it's this golden calf and idol of the economy that we must protect at all costs. And this is the thing we've got to, you know, raise up and look at all the jobs, 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 America first. Right. And, and look what easily has just knocked all that off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and tell that as if that's the only thing that matters as if that could sustain us. Yeah. Yeah. Please be going. Yeah. That anything that can sustain us. So like this childhood stuff is like this fear of that. I'm not enough. I'm unsafe. We're not enough. Um, we're not going to be okay. Um, and so, and that's really a scarcity, you know, as Walter, Walter Brueggemann calls it, you know, like this, the, the scarcity model, like not rec- recognizing that we have a God of abundance and, and so economically in all of our policy decisions, all of our, like in the church, all of our spiritual policies and decisions are motivated by a sense of having a rational grace, rational mercy, rational you know, like money and, and all these things rather than actually moving into the abundance model, which is, hey, if we just actually give and serve one another, we, we'll all be taken care of. And yeah. and I think we're starting to see that in this COVID crisis is we're starting to see people beginning. I still think it's a beginning. I don't think it's where it should be, but we're starting to see people beginning to move into generosity, beginning to move into thinking of other people outside of themselves. We're, we're seeing people embrace like real collective ideas of we need to look out for each other um, and check in with each other. And uh, I think that is, you know, out of this tragedy, I think that is the, the, the greatest place we can begin. Mm. That's so good, William. You know, what you brought up a couple minutes ago, which I haven't, I haven't thought about this in a while, but um, it is something that's kind of been resurfacing even the last few days. It, um, your reference about my first book prototype where, 
Because, you know, I don't claim to hear like the voice of God all the time by any means, but there've been a handful of times in my life where I feel like whatever my own sense of the divine was, it just seemed really, really clear. And one of those was, uh, so my first book prototype, it, it had these one word chapter titles. and There was definitely a movement and progression in them. And so like, it's, I think it was chapter five was on wounds and chapter six was on resurrection. So when I was in my darkest moment, I really felt like there was this moment of divine clarity where I really just in that, in that deeply interior way, felt like what I heard was, you know, you, you skipped from wounds to resurrection. And now I'm going to teach you how to die. This is the chapter that I'm writing yep. on death. And what's been profound about that. And what I couldn't have known about that when I first heard it is that that death process actually takes a really long time. It, I think yeah. I thought like, Oh, a couple minutes. We'll be in this a few minutes, a few more days, maybe a week or two. And I'll be eager to like jump into that kind of resurrection. And instead what it felt like was basically that, that season of learning how to die no less than five years, five years. And every time I thought it was through, every time I was ready, like, oh, let's let's jump into resurrection. It was always it was always premature because I think part of what happens is like there's these things within us. There's these things that drive us that are so fundamentally toxic and unhealthy. You can't tweak them a little bit. You can't sprinkle a little grace on or be a little kind to yourself and be all right. No, like there are things that actually really, truly have to die. And that takes a really long time because what I've realized is that like, there are still parts of me, even things that were unhealthy, I was still fighting death. You know, you're still fight, grappling to, yep. to keep things alive that really aren't supposed to be alive. And so I just think like sometimes that season can, can be not only difficult, but profoundly long. I know we emphasize, right, this three-day thing of like death, burial, and resurrection. But you're like, and that is just such a, this is the Paschal mystery. That's such a snapshot of long seasons of life. That's right. And, you know, and again, we use it as like, as this kind of like literal thing of, see, it just, it's going to be real quick. And then, you know, you yeah. resurrect. And it's like, yeah. actually, you might need to spend a decade in the wilderness. You might need mm-hmm. to spend a year. It might be three months. You, you just, you can't put the timestamp on it. That's right. You can't force yourself out of that wilderness because really it's about something being formed in you and God forming um, a new value system and a new priority system inside of you that just, I mean, man, when I, I resonate so much with what you said, what you're saying, because so much of my life has been, uh, especially as a musician and an artist has been built on attention. <laughs> it just, yeah, it sure, sure. And then I realized how much of that again was related to my childhood of like using music as a way to like, it was a way for me to process, but then it also became a way for me to be seen and feel celebrated. And then if what happens when I'm not being celebrated? What happens when my album is not, you know, on top of the charts or, you know, isn't the hottest thing on Spotify? Like, am I still worth it? Am I still enough? Am I still loved? And I feel like that's the root God's trying to get to for all of us is, are you still loved if you're not productive? That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I just saw where uh, Jennifer Blow, my friend, said the church wants your wilderness season to go fast. And I think like, I think that's true. I think everybody wants the wilderness season to go fast. But what I'm learning is, and once again, still not with the mentality that everything traumatic or difficult that God is somehow directly causing, but that sense of, again, if God's kind of fundamental job description is bringing beauty out of brokenness, and there's always an invitation to spirit kind of in any season, what I'm coming to see is that you know, there really is like a, uh, I think that's a C.S. Lewis phrase, a severe mercy to all this, because mm. the bottom line, if the only path towards resurrection is through death, 
then what that means is if some things aren't allowed to fully and completely die, like com- totally off the ventilator, then we're never able to fully enter into the new. And that's where I'm actually able to see a kind of like grace in all this now is that if it weren't for the long, painful process of things really dying, newness is actually not possible. It's really not until you fully let go of what was or what is. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to get preachy, but it's fascinating to me that the lectionary text for Sunday is in fact the story of uh, Jesus and Mary in the garden. And there's that whole, I mean, it's been a meme and it's funny and it's awesome where Jesus actually does say to Mary, don't hold on to me now. Don't cling to me now. Like don't essentially don't touch me because it's like the God that she knew before, like she couldn't know God in the way she had to, had to before. Like it, she could only know the God that was now, the God that's being revealed to the res, through the resurrected Jesus here and now. So I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's surely something of that happening in all of this for us collectively and individually. Please go ahead. You've been the the proud champion of this message of transfiguration. Really, like that's really what this is all about. Like um, moving from the old into the new and this idea of this, you know, Pilgrim Christ who, you know, is one way with you in, in, in Jerusalem, but then he's not in Jerusalem anymore. And you have to find him on right. the same right. That process can be all sorts of which ways for many, many of us. But I think ultimately that goal is transfiguration. And like you said, the only way to transfigure, the only way to evolve, the only way to grow, the only way is to move into death mm. and to, to, to rest in that, that death. And that literally means let go of ego. And that's the hard one. Yes. It's letting go of ego, the false self. That's right. The the, the calculating mind. The like, I, mean, I find myself in it all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. at some point, I'm like, do I actually allow myself to rest? Or am I always like, well, you could do this. You can do that. You can blah, blah, blah. And I, I call it solutions. But it's actually a calculating mm-hmm. mind that's always trying to figure out how to not rest, how to not die, how to not enter into the tomb, and also how to let go. Like some of us have to let go of relationships. Some of us are going to have to let go. Uh, for some of us, it's you know, it's going to be a letting go of church. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I say that. No, I hear you. I'm with you. A lot of people, it's like that. That church model does not work for you. You know, it doesn't work for you. But yeah, you're clinging on to relationships that don't honor the truth of who you are. They don't honor the fullness of who you are. You know, when you walk into that room, that you can't bring your whole self into that room. And if that is the case, why are you not letting go? And it's like everything that I don't want to let go ultimately gets stripped from me because I just didn't easily allow it to be let go. And then I'm holding, and then I'm wrestling, and I'm like, God, but I want that relationship. I want that friendship. I want those. That influence, I want that attention, I want that. And God's just like, let it go, die, just die, because then you can transfigure and then you could be reborn. But you're going to ultimately be reborn into something that you can't plan, something you can't control. It's yeah, like we can't dictate where we're going. We want to, we want to be masters of our own destiny, but we just are not. And, you know, I can't change the way the music industry is headed. There's things I look at and I just go, I don't like where that's going. And I want to change it. I wish people did this. And I wish they bought albums. And I wish, because then it would, and I'm just like, you can't change that. Yeah. You can't make a value that isn't there. So you need to die to that. And you need to die to what it would look like to do music, if that's even what you want to do. And, like, that has to, I think that's ultimately, if we're not quiet, we can't enter into that space. We can't that's even right. remotely 
hear that 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 newness, that new that new renewal, that re, that new word that's going to maybe ultimately propel us. But yeah, that's so good, William. And I feel like what you're naming is so important, especially in the sense of. I think whatever sense of control we think we have over our lives, that we are in charge of our own destiny, um, it's always an illusion. Control is always an illusion. The truth is we we're always this vulnerable. We've always been this vulnerable. Our loved ones have always been this vulnerable. Like there is a wildness to created things and bad, bad things happen. And so what it feels like happening right now is those illusions of control are being stripped from us where we realize there, there really is very, we can change the thermostat and that's about all. There's very little about our lives that we're really in control of. Yeah. And it's like what it feels like happening now is like there's this, I love your language because I think it's so important, this mass kind of stripping of the ego. Because so long as we think we're still in charge of things, so long as we think that too much depends on us, then we're not able to enter into the kind of powerlessness yeah. where we're able to allow life to really happen to us. Like that's where the good stuff happens is when is. we it no is. longer need to drive. But so long as we still feel like we've got to like that we have to steer and that somehow that any of this is in our hands, I just think like it's just not true. And it takes sometimes moments like this for it to be revealed to us how little we're actually in charge yeah. of. And you know what? What we what's being exposed right now too is the political illusions that we've created. Yeah. Because there has been, there has, it's like our culture has been drowning in corruption and conspiracy for a long time. That's right. And when I say that, I mean like our propensity towards conspiracy theories, our propensity for like um, to not live in reality. I think Americans have so much privilege that we, we choose to not live in reality. And what COVID-19 is exposing are, mm. are the items of uh, these false gods and these illusions that we've built up, these political realities that we've built up over years that are now failing us. Yeah. And, and I don't know if many people have fully really wrestled with this yet, but I'm going, there has been some real propaganda that has gone out in our political atmosphere yeah. that is now kind of being shaken and broken loose. And we have a real invitation here to really enter into truth. And that means, what does it look like for us to build cities that value public health? Mm. What does it look like for us to build uh, um, political leadership and state yeah. that actually... Um, value workers that value um labor yeah. all the people that we've been ignoring for the last number of decades are the ones getting hit hardest right now that's right some of the most marginalized the people that experience social uh, and economic disparities right now are being hurt the most through covid yeah. but we've built narratives about those people we've called them you know welfare queens we we have they just yeah. off the government those people are this and that and now those people are dying because of our lack of reality and our lack of wanting to live in reality. And so, the you know, you're right. There's very little in life that we can control. But one thing we can do mm. is we can enter into reality for ourselves. Yes. Actually oh, yeah. see, not just yeah. like see what we want to see, see what the echo chamber, and that's across all political spectrums, whatever the echo right. chamber that you want to live in says is true. Right. Actually choose to see the other to choose to see the people who are most vulnerable and hurting right now, rather than our political lens of who they are and what they should be or how they how they live. And I, I think we're in for, this is a real reckoning. And you said it best, you know, uh, back in 2016, when Trump got elected, you said, this is the judgment of God. And what you meant by that is you, you meant it as we're getting what we, we we're getting what we want. We wanted yeah, that. That's right, that's right. For this, this is what we wanted. Yeah. And now when that political system is failing to, to protect us and keep us safe and to 
Um, now we're like, what, what's real? What's not? And everyone wants to blame 5G towers and everyone wants to blame like the amount of conspiracy theories that are coming out of this right now. Even I'm like, we are we actually learning the lesson? Yeah. Are we actually learning to see reality, to see, to see exactly what you said, that we are frail mm-hmm. and our systems are frail. Mm-hmm. And if we have frail systems, because a lot of us created conspiracy theories because we thought they were all out to get us. Not yeah, that's right. that these political systems were only dependent on our participation and how frail they're frail because we're frail. And now we actually have an opportunity to say, okay, now what does it look like to value public health? Because that forces us now to see each other. Yeah, that's right. That's so good, William. And to not see each other through the lens that our echo chamber tells us to look at those people. At. Yeah, yeah. And so that is one thing we can control is we can can strip off the illusion, strip off the false narratives that have been built, you know, on the conservative side, on the progressive side. And we actually now wrestle with reality. That's, you know, without wanting to make this too much about the administration, even you bringing up what I said about the judgment of God, which I feel like for a while, I was I said those things so much to where I felt like I got to a place to where like maybe all I'm doing is preaching the choir. And I don't know if I have anything more or new to say about that, because and I do agree that, of course, I know we both think that there are real ditches in terms of conservative and progressive ideological loops, et cetera, et cetera. But about this whole thing with the administration, and alternate realities, this has never been more clear, at least to me, than it is right now. You know, to to a point we can we can kind of roll with this idea that like, well, maybe reality is something that you choose. Everybody gets to pick a story. Everybody picks a narrative. And how is my narrative better than your narrative? And why is your new source any more reputable than my new source? And we just kind of get to pick and choose. But I feel like even though there are still people who can resist this, I felt like that there was something so important that happened in the what we did get from the administration in the early days of this and outright denial yeah, of undeniable facts. And we moved in a few days from this is a Democratic hoax meant to bring down the president to more or less a federal mandate to remain in groups of, of 10 or less. And I think part of what's and I think I find this is an important moment if we can see it like this. There is a point at which what you believe about the narrative actually doesn't matter all that much. What you choose to think is right. That really doesn't matter. There still are facts. And they're like people actually die and choosing to like click your heels together three times. And if you repeat something loud and long enough in an echo chamber, that doesn't actually change anything about the nature of what is. And so it's like, it, it's like a revelation of the real that's happening yeah. right now. Yeah, it is. You can't spin your way out of a virus. You can't yeah. buy your way out of a virus. You yeah. can't blame your way. You could try. And it's obviously sure. that's being tried. But the truth is, when folks are dying in mass, yes, you yes. become accountable. And I'm talking to this personally. I'm you don't have to do this. I'm talking to this current administration. You are yeah, responsible. Yeah. He said, no, he they, responsible. "Absolutely, you are responsible. You wanted this. You chose this. You ran. You said, let me be the leader.' Now you're the leader. You are responsible. And that is something that we have allowed to these last couple of years. We have advocated our a sense of wanting accountability and wanting to hold." The, the the administration accountable and at the end of the day this isn't about left or right this isn't about hoax this isn't about fake news this isn't about any of that it's actually about public health it's actually yeah. about people's lives and like you said your echo chamber or your news source cannot spin away the reality that it did not have to be this way 
That's right. This pandemic did not have to get this bad. And that is because of a negligence, incompetence, and a lack of leadership. And that is the reality that I think people are unable to really deal with because we Americans, we live in the whole founding of this country is, is fantasy land. Yeah, we create. We literally. When I say we, I am speaking collectively, but I know my ancestors didn't do this. <laughs> but like, we created mass genocide. We moved. We between uh, 1492 and 1600, over 60 million natives died because of war, famine, disease, and they were they were killed off. That's right. And we have and we've created illusions and fantasies about history, about who we are, and how we came to be. And at some point, God is saying, "Enough is enough." Like reality is going to set in. And that's what the judgment is. The judgment is reality coming to you. Reality will check you. Reality will make you remember the truth. Reality will force the truth down your, and we're experiencing that with climate change. Reality is coming back to us. We started an industrial revolution over a hundred years ago. And now reality is saying our planet is warming. I just read a report today that said that that the oceans are in real danger this decade. And we're going to wipe out much of the ocean species. Yeah. Because of the warming of the oceans, because of our, our fuel industry that we've created. And so reality is coming for us. This will not be the last pandemic mm-hmm. because these things have been set in motion for a long time. And we are reaping the whirlwind. Yeah. yeah. And the only way we can get out of this is if we face yeah. reality. And that's a Joel 2 thing. It says, rend your yeah. hearts. Rend your hearts. Pray. Actually, face because it's about facing reality and the injustice that's been going on for a long time. And there's still people, right, who are going to like live in there, try to live in their bubbles. But you know what? Iris is 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 blind to all that. Oh, so true. Hannah Marie posted, "We're reaping what we sowed," and I couldn't agree more. Not again, like that. This is judgment in the sense that God is mad at us. But just in terms of like how it kind of it's, it's, it's cause and effect. Now, I tell you something, William. Something that just hit me so strongly, maybe because in my mind, I'm always going to what the objection might be or the critic. And especially, you know, even advertising this is kind of a Good Friday conversation. I really want to say to anybody right now who kind of says, man, it's Good Friday. Could we just not talk about this? See, here's the deal. You can't talk about what happened on Good Friday and not talk about Pilate. You can't talk about Good Friday and not talk about Empire. Um, both both in terms of the Roman Empire, and while I certainly don't think what happened in the death of Jesus is an indictment of Judaism in, in any form, the way that some religious leaders, though, within Jesus' own faith, were conspiring and colluding with imperial forces to make this happen. You can't talk about Good Friday, and you can't talk about the Easter story, and not talk about that. It, it's real, it's present, and it means something. Uh, the East, Holy Weekend has implications for Pilate. It has implications for the empire. So the idea of like, let's just dodge that and go into the spiritual reality of Easter completely misses the point. Because Easter, I think, weekend also is a revelation of the real. Yes. And and if I can get, maybe we've already in this prophetic vein, so let's continue. If I can get real prophetic on you, we are living in an Isaiah 22, 22 season. And what I mean by that is that the story of Isaiah 22 is about um, spiritual leadership over the house of the Lord that is corrupt. Yeah. That there are people, there are, men and, there are men and women who have been engaging in corrupt activities. And what I mean by corrupt is I mean that they have, exactly like you said, they have been colluding with Pilate. 
Right. They have been in bed with empire. They have been in bed with, in our context in America, there are many religious leaders who have been in bed with political propagandists, yeah. who have been telling them what to preach, who have been telling them what to say, how to believe, how to frame everything, how to see the world. And, and they have been guarding the house of the Lord while, while secretly colluding with Pilate. And I think is about God saying enough is enough. I'm going to raise up Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will give him the, he will rest on his shoulders, the key of David, and, and he will be able to shut what no man can open and open what no man can shut. And that passage is about new leadership. It is about God cleaning house. Yes. It is about yes. judgment has come. You have been found wanting, like just in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, when meaning, meaning tickles written on the wall, and then he's like, you have been found wanting, Nebuchadnezzar. You have been found wanting. Yes. The scales have found you wanting. And now God is saying, I'm going to raise up new leadership who will have my heart, who will actually be for the people and not for the, the religious and the political system that is conspiring uh, against the people. And, that, and that's scripture. That's just the prophets. And so right now, I feel like now is the time for people to really begin to uh, embrace this new call to leadership. And that can look so local. It can look so grassroots. Yeah. It can yeah. look like your family. Because it's basically like at some point, God is saying, I have heard your cry and I've heard the prayers of my people. And I will bring and I will bring deliverers. I will raise up deliverers, just like Moses was raised up out of Pharaoh's house. So many of you have been plucked out of Pharaoh's house, and you've been in the wilderness, been wondering why, because God is going to call you to bring deliverance to the mm. people who are in bondage to corrupt leadership. And that is that is something. I mean, t- ten plus years ago, God gave me Isaiah twenty two twenty two, and it's wild because I feel like for the last four years that is what I've been watching. Yeah. has been a whole wave of leadership. And that's not everybody, right? I'm not making a sweeping indictment on everyone, but I am saying that there are a lot of false prophets out there who have been yeah. calling, who have been prophesying false prophetic words. Yes, 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 out yes. There who have been using natural information that they've gotten off the internet and saying it's God. Mm. And they've been prophesying. There oh. are false prophets who are listening to political operatives who are then yeah. standing on stages and prophesying false words about America. Yeah. And God yeah. is saying enough is enough. Mm. But we have to be open to be the leader, to be the new yeah. leader of leadership. That, yeah. The ones that are able to see. And God is actually saying, are you going to be like the 10 bridegrooms? Are you going to be the five that are wise? Or are you going to be the five that are foolish? Will you have oil in the lamp and see reality in front of you? Or will you be deaf, blind, and dumb and say, talk about peace and safety where there is no peace and safety? That is right. That is it. Man, you're lighting my fire so much right now. When we first, that was last week or when, two weeks ago, whenever it was, when we first even talked about doing some kind of a podcast before any of this was landing on Good Friday, I asked you, what, do you want to, what would you want to talk about? And you said, false prophets. And it's wild to me how this is coming full circle because I'm telling you, um, and I, I think there's something really to this. When we look at Jeremiah in particular, what do we hear over and over again? The condemnation is that these prophets have been saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. There is no peace. We're prospering. And to confuse prosperity with peace, to confuse economic flourishing for some for peace or to be the blessing of God or the favor of God. It's as if the prophet Jeremiah is speaking directly into the kind of prosperity theology that we have now. Y'all think just because you're comfortable, 
that God that God is doing this, that God is bringing peace, and you're wrong, and your prophecies are these are these are lies. Stop saying peace when that's not when the when the Lord has not sent you. That's what we hear over and over again in Jeremiah. It is. We have not been we have not been in the real for a while. Yeah. Actually, I think we have put in the church a lack of discipleship issue around these things because people have. They have been preaching an alternative gospel. They have been preaching a gospel that is me-centric, a gospel that is about your personal relationship with Jesus, rather than our our collective reality about loving your neighbor, about blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are the so mercy. And we have been living in such delusion for so long that we can't even recognize or really recognize the word of Jesus, let alone yeah, the word right. Jeremiah, the word of uh, Isaiah. Right. But I, I promise you, oh. now is the time, now is the time for the children to feast on the bread of resistance. Yeah. It is not the time to, to, to simply numb out. If you need to numb out, do what you got to do. But it is also the time to feast on the bread of resistance because we have been so anemic. We have been yeah. so... Um, uh, we have been so led astray by so many false winds of doctrine that we don't even understand the heart of God, even as it relates to the very text that we claim to, to support. That's right. And That's so, right. I mean, I've been, I mean, it's been wild. I've been throwing myself back into like the, the work of Walter Brueggemann, um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, yeah. um, and reading about the prophets again, because what the prophets are saying feels, it's like it rings. It's so relevant. Even, even uh, Black History Month, I did a whole Black History Month special for the literature. We did 29 episodes on Black history. But it really was about, it's really a story of people who were this the yes. stories of yes. the stories of the Mac, the stories of James Baldwin, the stories uh, of Maya Angelou, and like these men and women in our history, these American heroes, in my opinion, who were going against the, the flow of empire and they were rejected. Yes. You know, Cornel yes. West has a book called Black Prophetic Fire where he highlights yes. um, these people that like Ida B. Wells and, and many of these people who are going against this ritualized violence that is happening yeah. in Jim Crow South and. And, and we have to feast on the bread of resistance. We can no longer be okay with like, you know, this like little cute spirituality and this little cute, these little cute worship songs that just kind of numb us out. Even worship music is simply right now just about numbing you out and not about about calling you into something super and higher for the sake of everyone else. Like we are, we are lost in Hosanna, we are locked in praise music. We have so much worship music and are so anemic on justice. I just don't even understand right now. That's right. And I even, even I, this is me, and I love, I, I come from the worship world. I love a lot of people in that world. But man, when a worship video comes across my timeline, I just can't even listen. Mm. I keep thinking about the words of the prophets that says, I hate your music. Yeah, right. I hate yes. your festivals. Yes. I hate your gathering. Yes. Because you don't practice justice. Yeah. Yeah. How long? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real question we have got to start asking ourselves. And that's not a, uh, an indictment. Mm-hmm. It is an invitation for us to that's enter right. into a new reality. God has a new mm-hmm. reality for us, yes. an alternative right. reality that is built in reality. <laughs> the yeah. actual reality, yeah. the alternative reality that we're talking about is actual reality. Yeah, that's right. It's not an, another echo chamber. It is actually right. entering into the real. Yes. This is part of where I feel like people so badly misread Jesus's Beatitudes is it's like this kind of idealism when I feel like what we get like in the Beatitudes of Jesus is, no, this is what actually is. 
these are the people who actually are blessed. It is the meek. It is the poor and poor in spirit. It is those who are persecuted. It is the oppressed that actually carry something of the of the favor of God. That's the world as it is. So to be caught up in that kind of wildness will make you seem really crazy to the world. But, you know, that is part of it. And I know everybody's not going to see it. But whether I think about biblical prophets, where I think about Jeremiah to Jesus, whether I think about people who I find to be incredible, credible witnesses from, uh, oh, gracious, whether it be from um, somebody like a Chris Hedges or all the way through like uh, James Cone, I feel like whew, this does feel like a moment of like the vindication of the prophets. Yep. Rugeman's been trying to tell us all along, like that people have been telling us these things, but it comes from a reality that's so reverse, is so crossways to the world that we live in, in, in kind of the normal order of the day, that it takes something traumatic, it takes something catastrophic to break us into that other kind of reality, that real reality. And it is an alternate reality from the world that we come in, but it's not an alternate reality in the way that other folks are just making shit up. Making it up and then choosing to ignore, right? Um, you know, sticking their, their fingers in their ears. Um, I don't believe it. I don't believe. And see, in, in the biblical yeah. times, like yeah. the coming of the Lord or the, or the judgment prophecies were really about God bringing that reckoning and God bringing the crashing in of that reality, right? And then people were like, well, I don't believe that the Lord's coming. I don't believe, I don't want to, da 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 Like, we don't want to believe it. And it isn't until times like these where we actually have to step back. And that's why everyone's just so in shock. Everyone is just so in shock. Like, how could this happen? And this is so crazy, and I just don't know what to do. And I'm going, these times have been coming for decades. Our consumerism culture yeah. kept building and building and building and getting more frenetic and getting more chaotic yeah. and getting more. And this materialism and it's in the church has just been building, building, building. I'm like, if your church is a brand at this point, my God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you if if your church is a brand more than it is a a a local hub for the hurting. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. What, what reality are we in? Where are we? And if we think that that's what we have to do in Christianity to be successful, my God. I, yeah, I, that's right. That's right. I, I just don't. And, and in a real way, this is all like the consummation of what's been coming for a while. That's right. And so part of it is now it's the lament. It's the grief. We have to enter into the grief, the grief of God, the weeping God who cries with us. Mm-hmm. Because of how long things have been so long, how we've denied access to healthcare to people for so long, how we, we've we've created an income inequality situation where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, and that's been happening for decades. Where where, where the poor and the marginalized are in are in a housing crisis, like it is, yeah. this has been yeah. this yeah. Has yeah. for a long time. And the question to us now is: Will we see it? Will we hurt with those who hurt? Will we move past our own inadequacy that relates to pain? Will we move past our own feelings of awkwardness and inadequacy and really begin to say, how do we build a future that is equitable? How do we build a future that is just? How do we build a future that, is, yeah. that values wholeness, that values people for profits? And that the profits are not just judging. They're, calling, they're using that judgment to call us into this future reality. And they're beckoning. Yeah. They're saying, even even so, Lord, come. Even yeah. so, there is a future where the lion lays down with the lamb. There is a city called the bride. There mm-hmm. is Jerusalem. There, That's right. There's a time and a place where we will study war no more. There are, there are these paths. Holy God. <laughs> calling us into God's future reality where we, yeah. the city will be blessed. 
Yes. Economic yes. cultures that value people over profits, well, everybody will be taken care of. We don't have to live in that scarcity. We can live in that abundance. And that, yeah. I think, and I don't know if it's ever been fully done yeah. in human history. And that is what's hard about it, but it's also what is the, the brilliant invitation. You know, and I'll say this and, and be done with, with my petty self, but um, one of my favorite TV shows, my dad, we were big Star Trek fans. So yeah. I loved Star Trek growing up, the original series, Next Generation. And then my favorite series is Deep Space Nine and then Voyager. And like, and, the, and then they have the new shows now, Discovery and Picard. I love them all, right? I'm obsessed. I can watch Star Trek reruns for days. I don't watch reruns. Mm. I can watch mm. old TV shows or like Star Trek reruns. Mm. And, but the reason why I loved it is because the man that created Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, had a vision of the future of humanity. Yes. Future where we begin to put aside our petty grievances and we begin to take care of the poor. That we evolved to a place where we no longer needed money, that consumerism wasn't what drove us. Yeah. And so the whole idea of that Star Trek universe was about a federation of planets who all like, worked together for the equity of all people. And that justice and equity was that which is prioritized. And it's so wild to think about this show was created in the 70s, right? And it was the first interracial cast on television. Um, and it was about all nations had come together, you know, and were working together in peace and harmony. And I think the prophets, as crazy as they were 2,000 years ago, these artist prophets were calling people into this future reality. And that is such a yeah. for me. And I, visual, so I, I, I love Star Trek to give me that visual of what can the future look like. We need to start dreaming of the new future. That yeah. the alternative future, God's alternative future, and I'm not talking about this heavy moralism, y'all. Where you know, you're all about to, you know, you know, don't do this, do this, that, that purity culture thing. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about a future where health, wholeness, and justice are are the centering ground for all of us, and all, and that's how we save all people. That's the salvation of the nations. That's yeah. the healing of the nations. Yeah. Revelation. Yeah. The river yes. of God, right? I wrote that song Deep Cries Out years ago. That's the river of God, that river of inclusion, that river of justice, that river of healing, that river of, and that we have yet to see it. That's right. We have yet That's to right. see it. And now, more than any time, to me, is the time where we can dream. Yeah. We can describe to each other the new Jerusalem and the new city and the new, what that looks like. Man, I am losing my mind over here. I've never heard you more on point about anything. And part of it, I think, like, what I'm seeing in this, even you're talking about Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry's future, all that. Like, there are wonderful things that have happened in tradition and in history where we have resources. Yes. But the prayer that Christians have been praying for 2,000 years is that kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way Christian spirituality is actually supposed to work, it's not moving from the past. It's coming from the future. And we're supposed to be welcoming that inbreaking move of God, that spirit that comes from the future into the present because what it's it hasn't happened yet it hasn't been realized yet real christian spirituality to me always has to be bit towards the future not the past because it's the coming kingdom breaking the present that we want we haven't seen it fully worked out before oh yes we have saints yes we have moments to look back to that are wonderful and all that but but the moment that we're looking for is actually something that comes from the future that we need to welcome into the present, yep. not from the past. I think it's I think it's that's what's wrong with any version of fundamentalism, not just Christian, any version of fundamentalism, is that it always romanticizes and idealizes a moment from the past. Yep. Whereas what we need to what we what we what we need, what we need to welcome is always coming from the future, not from the past. I think that's so profound. And the other thing I want to say, William, that's just, just like raging in me right now, what you're saying, 
is uh, this whole notion of false prophets and the difference between false prophets and true prophets. I feel like so much of it is like, who needs to just put a smiley face on everything right now? Who needs to spin it? There is, and I'm not completely negating this person's ministry, but there's like a prophet email list that I'd signed up for years ago. And so it's not all terrible, but I feel like everything that's happened since COVID-19 is kind of this notion of it's all in your head. If you'll just think positive thoughts and like whatever, but here's the thing. Um, there's such a difference, I think, between faith and denial right now, clicking your heels together three times and speaking positive words and speaking positive thoughts is not going to change the reality of what is. And I think like there, there's a kind of faith where we can have hope in God and we can have hope in the future and we can approach the world in a hopeful way. But that's not the same thing as burying your head in the sand or just pretending that so long as you say the mantra right or enough times that it actually changes things. I would just say right now in terms of discerning true from false, if, if they have to put a smiley face and a positive spin on everything, something's not right. <laughs> because, it, you know, I think it, when God's at work, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of the resurrection of the real. If death paves the way for resurrection, then we don't need to just like dress everything up all the time and pretend that things are better than they actually are. No, but that's the tension of the that we as I guess as Christians or just as good people like let's let's put it even beyond like our Christian bubble like we wrestle with the grief and the hope we wrestle with both and both are interchanging and so you're right yeah. what we don't need is somebody said it on here the toxic positivity we don't need the denial of reality and hoard like don't believe you know we can't even speak the truth because like, we'll say that because you don't want to bring it about it's like listen this is that's just superstition that is mm, that's right that is not right. and what what we need right now is an inbreaking of the real that carries with it the lament and the grief but also that hope of a new future of an alternative reality um and until we can actually learn to hold both realities and not just get right. on one or the other like, That's right. Always just be drifting, you know, from like doctrine to doctrine, wind to wind, movement to movement, famous preacher to famous preacher, um, yes. you know, popular book to popular book, and this is the new way. And it's like, y'all, if anything, this death, burial, and resurrection is teaching us. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be that you need each other. He said, I must go, but I will give you the spirit, and you'll have each other. Yeah. yeah have each other and that's actually yeah. all you, need. you don't need you need to learn interdependency you need to learn healthy dependency you need to learn how to love one another and that yes. all race religions creeds mm-hmm. uh, backgrounds is our desire to find common ground to create a public life that works for everyone and i don't know man until until we do that um we're gonna be we will be living in this mm-hmm. House of Mirrors, <laughs> we currently call America. It is a fun House of Mirrors right now, man. It is. It is. It is, it is, not, it is not pretty. So, mm. like we're just going on a thing trail. I'm just. <laughs> oh, it's so good. We were all. We have always been more dependent than we knew, and so all that's happening right now, nothing has really changed. It's just like. No, we actually were always dependent on God and on each other. We never had it within ourselves. It was never about willpower. It was never about positive thinking. It was never about whether or not you can get yourself together. We always were more interdependent than we knew. But now we're just in a moment where we can't deny that the way we could have before. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know how. You know, it's a knock. I, I, I don't know exactly fully how to get out of it. People have been asking that. Like, what do I, what do, I do? 
What can we yeah. do? I just know we can start where we can start. We can start ourselves we can start with our own egos and let those, let those go. And if enough of us begin to, you know, um, if enough of us begin to do that and live in that alternative way, um, that really is the power of the first century. Um, mm. Was that radical interdependency? And I'm not saying let's all move the communes together. Just for our, our world, that doesn't even that doesn't even work. But we do need to we do need to reimagine land. We need to reimagine space. We need to reimagine community. We need to reimagine public health and, and our common good across racial lines, religious lines, sexual orientation lines. Like we have to do this for our own survival. And I'll, I'll say this real quick, and this is just a total plug. Um, I am a big climate advocate. I have been for the last number of years. Um, um, I've done, you know, voter suppression stuff and climate. So anytime we're racing climate meet, you're, that's where you're going to find me. And last year I got to take a trip to the Arctic Refuge up in Northern Alaska. And I took uh, my podcast, a little just with us, and we pretty much spent camp out on one of the most, the last great wilderness, one of the most remote places mm. on the planet that is untouched by man, completely untouched. It has been untouched, I mean, since the history of the world. Um, there's an indigenous tribe that lived up there, the Gwich'in Nation. We got to talk to them. We, we interviewed them. We had a podcast uh, that we released on it, but I'm actually working on a documentary about our trip. Mm. And talking to these indigenous elders, about the ways in which they're being impacted by climate. The Arctic is melting at a dramatic rate. It's warmer. So we got to go there and it was like really, really, really warm. <laughs> and it shouldn't have been that warm for that long. Had never been. And these last couple of years, that's what it's been doing. And I mean, where it's normally a frozen tundra and we're like camping in the 70 degrees. Wow. And we interviewed these indigenous elders who, who are dealing with the pain of having their land stolen by the U.S. government for oil drilling. Currently, like the tax bill in 2017 that just got passed, they slipped in a, a, a bill to override this public land so that way we could start drilling oil on our last great public land. And these people are like, they, they depend on a caribou herd that comes through this land. They've been hunting on this land for thousands of years. They mm-hmm. And I tell mm-hmm. you, go on this reservation and see the impact of settler colonialism on this indigenous tribe was unreal to me but Mm. one of the things about going to this indigenous tribe in the arctic refuge was hearing the way in which they've been resourcing the land for thousands of years and they haven't been robbing from it Mm. if anybody has the tools to teach us in our modern age how to be interdependent it is indigenous people that's right they have been hunting resourcefully they have been living off the land in a way that doesn't destroy the land and when you look at the history of this country, all we've done is destroy land. Mm. We've taken land. We have we have um, abused the animal life. We've abused the ocean life. Mm. We have been polluting. We have been none of our rivers in America are remotely clean anymore. Right. We have dirty air. We have polluted rivers. And who in this country, the people that are from this country, have actually been using the land resource, resourcefully for thousands of years? It's been indigenous folks, and so. It is time for us as Western Americans to humble ourselves and to to learn some of the more ancient rituals for how to cultivate the land in a way that honors the earth, that honors our humanity, that honors the animal life and the plant life. And it wasn't, I mean, I knew, I felt, I had heard, and then I went. 
to the Arctic. And that's what this documentary is. I want to take you guys there and show you this place, this beautiful, beautiful place. But I want to also show you the people who've been robbed from. Mm. And and now they're being threatened by losing their primary food source because of um, oil drilling by the Trump administration. So mm. I think it's time for us to really go back to some of the ancient ways so, so that we can learn how to build a sustainable future. So it's not a romanticized past as much as it is about, hey, there are people who, who know more than us. We think because we have more technology that we're better. But actually... Um, God has always been with those on the margins and God has been yeah. always with the oppressed. And when I look at the history of this country, it has always been black and brown and indigenous people. And yeah. those are the people we need to pay more attention to. We need to learn how to, how to build equitable futures with those people and, and actually need to center them in the conversation mm. and not mm. center ourselves and to let their voice be heard because they have things to teach us. I was actually blown away by what they had to teach us. I was blown away by their rage, by their despair, but also their resiliency. Um, yeah, one of the indigenous elders, Kelvin, said flat out, he goes, we've been fighting terrorism since 1492 and we're pretty damn good at it. Wow, <laughs> that's an amazing statement. <laughs> right, he just said that to, to a shade on. He, this is not the first time they've tried to take this land and they've been his whole life has been fighting to save this land. This is just another attack on it. And, and it's time for us to really get out of our bubbles and to begin to honor the original people of this land so that way we can learn how to cultivate the land, how to build equitable futures, how to build justice and mercy in the city. And until we, until we can do that, we are going to be drowning in our golden calves and our economies and our jobs, jobs, jobs that are not even good jobs anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, they're not even jobs worth having, if we're honest. And all for what? And this is how empires rise and fall. And I, I really think we've got to get that hard look in the mirror to say, are we going to be a nation that, that evolves and that moves beyond this crude oil drilling and into a renewable future uh, where we can fuel power through wind and energy? Like that is learning how to be resourceful. We've got to start having these conversations now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, William, I'm, um, well, let me ask this first on a pragmatic level. I know you're not just trying to make some kind of a glib plug or something, but you're working on a documentary about this right now because I want people to know about this. Yeah, so we released a podcast on the Liturgist called Arctic. So you can find that right yeah. now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our website, theliturgist.com. So that episode, you can hear us talking in the Arctic and you can hear the indigenous elders. Like, So that's already yeah. out. Um, yeah. And we're working on a visual component. It's a 20-minute short documentary where we take you yeah. uh, into the Arctic refuge and we talk to the indigenous elders about their land. And it, it's just a beautiful documentary. One of the things that I do, I've, I've never done a documentary, so this is a, a fun little project. That's why I've been keeping my head down. <laughs> I've just been like literally working on a documentary night and day. Um, and one of the things we talk about um, is the comparison of the civil rights struggle of Black people to yeah. Native Indigenous people. Because for I didn't realize how similar they were. I didn't. It's the same wound. Our post-colonial society has has been reeling from the same wound. The beliefs were so separated in our yes. struggle for liberation. And so one of the things yes. I do is I really wanted to 
give the concept of settler colonialism and white supremacy from a, being black in America as it relates to these indigenous people in the architecture. I wanted to connect that. You know, most people don't really connect those dots anyway. Usually the climate conversation is divorced from the racism conversation. And right, yeah. We yeah. have had such divorced conversations. <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah. our echo chambers yeah. of immigration yeah. even have had divorced conversations. And now it's time to be intersectional. Now it's time to... Uh, to really begin to be integral in the way that we understand our reality. And that's what we mean by the reality. We have to understand how even COVID, right, is affecting Black Americans more than it's affecting white Americans disproportionately. And we have to ask the question, why is it in Louisiana? Why is it in Milwaukee? Why is it in Detroit? My parents live in Detroit. My aunties live in Detroit. Like, why are they dying more from COVID than everybody else? What about the healthcare system doesn't work? Yeah. And right. And we have to be intersectional in the way that we view these things, um, or else we are not going to really address the root of the problem. Yeah, that is yeah. what we are into the business of these days. We're not into just throwing money at stuff, giving you know, fake solutions. We want to hit the root of the That's spiritual, right. moral, right. political, socioeconomic problems that are affecting all of us because we're we're dealing with healing the whole man, not just part of the man. And the church yeah. is so good at just trying to fix the heart of a man. Let me yeah. tell you, spiritual school try to help your soul, maybe work through some stuff. But we have not taken care of the body. We have not engaged the mind, the intellect. We have not loved God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. And now is the time for us to to really expand our consciousness and really become intersectional and really start to weigh things on an analysis of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, um, um, ability, disability. We really got to start having these conversations. Not it's not woke conversations, y'all. That's not being woke. Right. That's just being real. That's dealing in the real. And it's time for us to be in the real and to stop ignoring this stuff because we don't feel smart enough or we feel like that's those people and the liberals and those whatever. We get we gotta get rid of that. It's time for us to be in the reality. Yeah. Oh. William, that's amazing. And I know you you know, you've been so generous with your time. I know we've been over an hour so far. But I was thinking like I've had many wonderful conversations with you in private. And it's kind of, so this, I feel like it's kind of a crazy thing to be able to say. And the last few days, you know, one of the things I'm able to do right now that's been so encouraging is talking to people who I love and admire. Uh, Jackie Lewis last night, talking with, uh, I, want to meet her. I mean, beautiful people. But I'm telling you, man, I have never publicly or privately felt any more of a sense of like spirit kind of, as I just about knocked my desk over here like spirit kind of electricity than I feel in this conversation. I feel like it's so real. And I've watched you over the years where even as you've gone through some significant transitions in your life and faith, um, how special it is when you hit this kind of flow that I feel like you've been in this whole time. So I don't know what you might feel directed or just comfortable saying like uh, in the last few months we have, but I tell you, I just feel like even watching some of these comments come through on Instagram. And I know like that's a small sample size. It's probably a safer space here than some other places. But I just so felt the need to just like encourage folks who are listening slash watching, depending on the format as we go. I just think so many people are sensing these kind of prophetic impulses because you know, like Paul talked about Romans 8, the whole creation is groaning and sighing for the restoration that's coming. And I think so many people, like, they're feeling it, they're sensing it, they sense it in their very bones. But because of where they are, 
you know, they, they question themselves as to whether or not it's God. And I just want to tell somebody, it is God. And it is the spirit within you that makes you long for this. And it is the spirit within you that makes you talk the way that you talk and dream the way that you dream. That is God. And I just don't want anybody to take that away from somebody right now, that these impulses for this kind of future is anything less than the work of the spirit inside of you groaning and sighing for a reality that really is coming, that actually is coming. So that's just like, I should tell somebody that, yeah. you know, this is God and it is coming and you can trust your intuition that way. You can trust yeah. the voice of God inside of you in that way. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say in that spirit, just to the folks who are listening, watching, whatever, but I feel like I need to say that. Yeah, no, you're, you're great. I mean, truth be told, man, and this is part of my, my, you know, personality. I love solitude. I'm, I'm a hermit. I'm quiet. I lay low for the most part. If you're my friend, I'm loud to my friends, you know, but like I, I just stay relatively low, except on Twitter. Uh, mm. but like I stay relatively low, but part of that is, you know, I lived such a public life in public ministry for so long that where people, you know, whether it was through worship or they saw this side of me and they got this side of me, the spiritual side of me. And after like a 15 years of it, I just was like, I, it was like I had pimped out my spirituality to a point where I had lost myself and I lost my humanity and I was negating my humanity to lean into this prophetic side that truthfully, I'm like, well, what was it for? Just to prophesy a revival that wasn't coming? <laughs> like, you know? And that was, you know, and that was, um, there, there were some, there have been, and there will probably be some real hard reckonings around um, what is prophetic for me? What, is, what does that look like? And so I just made the, the choice in my life that I was going to prophesy to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Primarily, you know, primarily at least, like, um, I was going to try be more quiet actually on this this kind of stuff than I was loud and and I've actually been more political because uh, I just felt like that's where I, I needed to grow that arm so I just chose to be more political and less prophetic. Um, but actually, man, I I just want to tell people to get to your question. Um, you're not crazy. The first thing Empire tries to do is to gaslight you, to tell you that the hell that you're catching ain't real. The people who are catching hell that now more than ever is the time to tell, to tell those systems, but also even that might look interpersonal, tell people in your life, how you actually feel. So many of us feel this truth inside of us and we hide. And it's not like a choosing to be quiet. It's more of a hiding. There's one thing to choose to be quiet. It's another thing to hide. You know, some of us are Elijah in the cave right now. We ran, we, you know, we ran from the prophets of Baal and now we're just like, God, where are you? I'm in the, I'm in the cave. But, but God is, God is very much, the spirit is calling us still. And so the first things, first things first is get quiet, listen and hear, but then speak. Yeah. Then begin to begin to, and that happens interpersonally. You don't have to get on Twitter to do that. You, That's right. you just start telling your truth because the thing that empire resists is our truth. And so I feel like what I'm doing is I'm getting stronger, sharing my truth. I'm sharing all of it, not just my, my prophetic. I'm sharing my rage. I'm sharing my anger. I'm sharing my joy. I'm sharing my, my likes and my dislikes. Like I am, I'm vocalizing. I'm putting a voice on my hurt and I am speaking to what can be. And that's right. And I think that is, if I could just encourage anybody out there, now is the time to tell your story, 
to own yourself, to own your narrative. And I don't mean that as like creating a narrative. I'm talking about the real thing inside of you that God has been speaking to. The reason why you can't sleep at night, the reason why you feel tormented, the reason why you feel haunted by that past of yours is because God is calling you to heal those things. And he's calling you to face those ghosts. It is, you know, uh, what is uh, Pete Rollins says, you know, your prophet is your symptom. Like it, uh, or your symptom is your prophet. It's telling you, the thing that's hurting on the inside of you is telling you the very thing that you're called to speak to. So now is the time to to do that work personally in the ego realm and the, and the the wrestling with that. But then it's, it's time for us to, to, to then organize. And when I say organized, I mean it's time for us to build alliances and coalitions, and that looks like spiritual coalitions, it looks like political coalitions, and it is time for us to to really take that stand because you know what the enemy's doing it. Yeah, that's right. Like the people that are are colluding with empire, the the religious leaders that are colluding with empire, they are they are lined up, they are in yes, alliances, they are they, they are in formation, they are in. They are in the pocket because they know that the only way they're going to confuse you is if they get on the same team. And yeah, so that's right. And really see reality. We are so afraid to get on that team because we've been so hurt by fundamentalism. And we've been so hurt by the same thing that we don't want to repeat the same mistakes. So then we, we isolate and we just go through our own processes. And I'm like, now's the time to own yourself, own your truth, but then build alliances where we can build common ground. And we have to represent the newness that we want to see in the world. We have to represent a new alternative reality of what it means to live in justice and equity with our brothers and sisters that believe differently from us. We have to build alliances and organizations and institutions because institutions will long will last beyond our lifetimes. We have to learn to start a new institution based on the new value system that actually can carry it forward. We have to teach our children this. We have to teach our nieces and nephews this. We have to challenge them. We got to tell the kids to start reading, feast on the bread of resistance, start reading the mothers and fathers of the face. Like I was listening last night to Simone Bay. <laughs> My God, an wow. activist, wow. an action author, a writer, a, a prophet in her own right. We need to we need to to pick those things, those those the bread of resistance, and we need to now start building the new world. We, it's now it's time to build a new temple, and that that is something we have to rally together to do and organize. And so I'm I'm only interested at this point in talking and having conversations with those that want to organize. Don't tell me how you think Trump's about to win the next election. Don't tell me. I'm not even saying that you can't say that or that might not be a reality because it very much can be. But yeah. tell me what you do. What are you doing? I ask every time somebody says, you know, I think he's just going to win again. I say, well, what are you doing to stop it? If you don't want it to happen, what are you doing? What are we doing? Can we do something together? Mm-hmm. And that is the thing. I'm like, we can't enter into that fatalism because that's how how uh, right? everybody thought Hillary Clinton was winning in 2016. She's inevitable. It's going to happen. She's inevitable. It's the same fallacy. Now everyone's like, see, Trump's inevitable. He got away with impeachment. It doesn't matter. Nothing. And I'm going, it's the same fatalism, y'all. It's the same nihilism. And we're we're in the same boat we're in because we don't have a new moral imagination. And it doesn't mean that we deny reality because, again, it's going to be a fight in November. But what we, I'm interested in organizing, I'm interested in mobilizing, I'm interested in what are we doing to see the world that we want to see come to be. Yeah. Oh, so good, William. And I tell you what, man, we've been friends for a long time, going back now, hard to believe it's been this long, 2010, 2011, whenever we first connected. But I tell you, I don't presume that I have anything to offer to speak in your life or whatever. 
But in the same way as we're trying to encourage our friends right now, I, I just feel it screaming inside of me to just say, this is God. This is God. And to any sort of, if there's anything left of any ambiguity inside of you about the trajectory you're on, I just, I would like to scream it right now that this is so God. This is the spirit of God. This is the spirit. And you've always known the spirit of God. You've always known this voice. You've always been in touch with it. You've always flowed with it. And I just want to bless that in Jesus' name. Yeah. That the path that you're on is the right path. And it's a path of liberation. And it's a path of freedom. And it's bringing other people into a path of freedom and liberation. And I don't know, what for whatever that means, I just want to hear that from my the deepest part of myself, that God is using you powerfully right now. And even in these moments where you're kind of laying low, and I love that, like being willing to be obscure in the midst of all this. It's but, but that that divine voice is stirring so loud and strong inside of you. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to share what you're hearing in the secret places with others. Because I absolutely know that it's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you for that and for your obedience to be willing to let in that, even when other people kick against it or condemn or whatever, that 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 it's absolutely God. Yeah. I believe man, thank you. It I have been okay with the obscurity. Um, I've learned to revel in it. I've learned to be okay with it. Like I said, I've been social distancing long before we started the actual measure. Yeah. So, um, and actually some people have been social distancing from me. So like, that's, that's the real way. I'm like, like, how are you doing social distancing? I'm like, it's fine. Most of my Christian friends have been social distancing from me for years. So I'm, I'm good. So, yeah. uh, and so I've learned to, to love the obscurity, love the wilderness. Um, because I really believe that's where you find the voice of God. I've always known that. You know, Miss, Misty Edwards, one of my old worship leader friends, he used to sing the song, The Way of God is the Wilderness. It's always been the wilderness. It's voluntary weakness. It's always been that. We've got to learn to enter into the wilderness so we can find that voice of uh, the voice of God, the bridegroom voice, and we can we can actually speak truth to power in a way that's coming from another reality, not not just our frustration. Which is fine. That's right. right there. That's right. But through the frustration, you will find, like you said, spirit is calling and spirit is riding on the waves of that. And spirit is leading yes. you and I. And thank you, your prophetic voice, Jonathan, for years now. I've been I've been stalking you for years. And I am thankful for your prophetic voice because some of your prophetic voice got me on my prophetic or strengthened my prophetic voice. Um, you were turning me on to, to books and podcasts and people like, like you turned me on to Renee Girard, you turned me on to Brian Zahn, uh, Walter Brueggemann, like you, you were that guy. And so it was your voice in the middle at the height of my worship career that really got me um, thinking bigger and broader and, and better. So I'm so thankful to you and your voice and how the spirit has used you and you've been so on the front lines of so many things um, to pioneer and pave. And, you know, listen, they don't pay us to talk like this. Listen, this no, is they it. don't. They, hell no, they don't. Christianity. Listen, like everyone, like right. people think it's like benefit. Like, oh, you're just doing it for the progressives and the liberals, and yeah, I'm like nobody pays us to talk like this. I'm like, in fact, we lose money talking like this. Listen, if I was if I was smart, I would have kept my mouth shut and and led worship at, at Hillsong when they asked me to, and I'd have been like this and that. Like, I but I couldn't. I was like, I I just that's not my path. And, and so I would rather be speaking the truth and being like over. It's not about my rightness or your rightness. It really yeah. is about what honoring the voice of God and what the spirit is doing and, and, and calling out those things we, we know are right. So listen, it is, it, I know how much a burden that's been on you, like financially, how much that has been, um, 
losing relationships and reputation off of this stuff. So I appreciate you for, for being brave to facilitate this kind of conversation. This, it's probably the only way I really feel safe talking about this outside of yeah. conversation is yeah. because I'm like, it would have to be you or like, you know, Brian's on or something. Otherwise I'd be like, okay. okay. And just say little things because, you know, people mm-hmm. have little things, but you've got that weight carrying capacity. So I thank you for creating a space for me to show up in this way. That, uh, oh. authentic and honest. Thank you, William. Well, I just I have to just have to say such a massive amen to that and and receive because I just think I just think it's so important. It is weird to me that for all the claims we get in the Gospels about the way of Jesus being a narrow way, mm. that people don't tend to grasp this more. It's like, no, this is not popular, and it really isn't. And that's not like martyrdom or being a victim or anything like that. No, like the way of Jesus still is a narrow way. Yeah. That yeah. way of self-sacrifice and that way of humility or whatever. It is oh, it is absolutely still, I don't know. So it's just weird when people don't receive it that way. Because yes, if you say the right things and you rein it in or whatever, there's still real rewards to be reaped. But I think like the way of Jesus it it will ne- it really will never be popular no. to a certain point. It will be resonant with people who also hear that same voice, but it will never be popular. No, no. Well, I mean, who am I? Mean, I'm, I live in Hollywood and I'm talking about consumerism. <laughs> like, I mean, I live in the height, the center of decadence, the center of like entertainment culture of pornography culture of like this, like I, I am, it's funny. Cause I'm like, well, I should just go live. I should go live in the mountains somewhere else because I'm like, it's, it's, sometimes it's just so funny. Cause I'm like, why am I talking about like consumerism and like, how unhealthy our culture is, and I'm literally living in Babylon. <laughs> you know, like, but I actually love it. And I kind of th- I I thrive in it, you know. And um, I I learned to find my voice actually in in, in Babylon, believe it or not. And uh, and so it's it's sometimes God puts you in the middle of places where you're like, and like, why do I feel the most at home in one of the most vain cities on the planet? But yeah. it's like it's funny because I'm like, well, maybe that's why God has you here. Like, that's right. Be, that's right. Kind of, and same same for you being in Tulsa, you know, with the table, like Oklahoma City now. But yes, <laughs> like, like you were in Tulsa, Oklahoma City, OKC. Okay, that's right. You were Tulsa yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And to be pushing up against that, you know, that that, that religious spirit, that that fundamentalist spirit that's yeah. there. And to, I mean, it is crazy to take that ground in a in a place like that. But only you know, maybe crazy. But that's right. Well, man, I, again, I know you don't need my affirmation or something, but just because I just, I just feel so strong again, like you being in Hollywood is God, the liturgist is God, the worship stuff you did in the past was God, even though you had to like transcend and move into space, it's always been God. And I'm just grateful that you're operating in sync in the way that you are. I'm grateful for your voice, grateful for your heart. And this is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on or offline. So thank you for this. So, so Thank good. Thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting. Keep supporting Jonathan with Zeitgeist. Like, you guys are the reason why we still even do this stuff. Otherwise, we might just, I don't know, go get a 9 to 5. So. <laughs> That's awesome, right? <laughs> Sometimes I do. I was like, I think I might go get a factory job, y'all. Like, I'm just... Let me just I know. live a simple life. And just... I, I, I've been, yeah, I could say a lot about that. I'm like, I'm willing to apply for anything right now. Just put, let me let me work on a farm, like whatever. Yeah. Just get me out. Because <laughs> it's honest. Hey, I love you. And if you'll stick with me, I'll hit you up here on the Zencaster for another moment or two because it's been so good. But thank you guys for joining us for a live Good Friday version of the Zeitcast. William Matthews, we love you. We appreciate you. You're amazing. Thank you so much for being here.
Thank you guys. Mwah.